Hi everyone, uh, this is Mark and this is the Mark Hastings Experience and uh, in this podcast uh, I'm going to be talking about everything from poetry to films to uh, TV shows to books and about uh, anything and everything that inspires me and uh, I hope you like what you hear. Hi everyone, this is Mark, and welcome to another episode of the Mark Hastings Experience. And in this episode, um, I'm not only going to be talking about one of my favourite films, but I'm also going to be talking about uh, one of the best um, films from the Star Trek franchise of films, um, to film that is considered uh, one of the favourites of um, many Star Trek fans, and also uh, many um, not strictly Star Trek fans um, considered to be um, a great film in its own right. And um, but to me, being a Star Trek fan, uh, it is one of my favourite films. And to me, it is the best Star Trek film um, for a lot of reasons. And of course, the film that I'm talking about is uh, Star Trek Two. The Wrath of Khan, which came out in 1982. Um, it's a uh, direct sequel to Star Trek The Motion Picture um, that came out in 1979. Features um, the crew of the USS Enterprise, NCC-1701, um, as captained by, as captained by uh, Admiral James T. Kirk. Or, I should, should I say that at the point where the, the, the story of the crew of the Enterprise picks up, um, Admiral Kirk is no longer the captain of um, the Enterprise because the Enterprise is now um, a training um, vessel. Um, and uh, the, the bridge of the Enterprise, uh, when we first... Um, jump into the the story of the film is being used uh within a simulation which admiral james t kirk is overseeing and the simulation that is being played out is that of the uh kobayashi maru and the kobayashi maru is a vessel that is a part of this simulation uh it's a ship and it's a part of what is called a no-win scenario, which is basically a a, um, a test of character. It's a, a training exercise that um, you can't win. Essentially, you can't. There is no true um, solution. There is no way to to beat it, but. Um, it, it, as I say, it's a test of character. It, it's a test uh, about the person um, um, being tested. Um, so everybody reacts differently. Um, and as is uh, revealed in um, further on in the story of Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan, uh, Kirk, um, who was then a cadet... Uh, cadet uh, James T. Kirk at Starfleet Academy. He is um, the only person to have uh, beaten the no-win scenario. Um, and he does this, uh, and he explains how he did this. He's the only person in in uh, Starfleet Academy history who was able to beat the no-win scenario. And uh, I'll get to how... Uh, a, a little bit in a little bit but um his um creative uh um um answer the way that he was able to uh the way that he um beat the the Kobayashi Maru test was a, a test of his him his own um psychology the the, the kind of man that um Admiral Kirk, Captain Kirk is, but um, so when we first uh, encounter Admiral 
uh, James T. Kirk. As I said, he's overseeing this uh, simulation. Does the part of the Kobayashi Maru test, this no-win scenario, in which um, several members of the Enterprise crew, uh, including um, um, Mr. Spock, played by Leonard Nimoy, uh, DeForest Kelly, plays um, uh, Dr. McCoy, um, uh, uh, George Decay, uh, uh, who plays Mr. Sulu, uh, and Michelle Nichols. Um, and also uh, Kirsty Alley, who plays Lieutenant Savick. And uh, Lieutenant Savick uh, uh, is in command of this simulation of the USS Enterprise. And the within the scenario, the Kobayashi Maru, uh, the the ship is attacked by some Klingon uh, battle cruisers, um, and as a result. Uh, it is uh, critically damaged because the Kobayashi Maru in the no-win scenario is a uh, is a vessel that the the ship has to uh, or the commander of the of the ship has to try and save the um, they pick up this distress signal from this ship the Kobayashi Maru which is a uh, like a freighter a civilian uh, star freighter and um, it hits um, like a, a gravitic mine as it's called uh, and it's it strays into a uh, a neutral zone in between the federation the united federation of planets uh, in which earth is a part of and um, and it strays into this neutral zone between the united federation of planets and the the cling and the Klingon empire so it's this um, um demilitarized zone you could call it so anyone who you know two parties no individual parties can go into this neutral zone um without the the agreement of the other side so the federation can only enter into the neutral zone if they it is agreed to by the klingons and the klingons the same and if anyone is to move into the the neutral zone that it would be a violation of the peace treaty between the two people um, so in the scenario, the no-win scenario, uh, this happens because they, the the, uh, the ship, uh, Lieutenant Savick orders the Enterprise to go into the uh, neutral zone to try and save the uh, the Kobayashi Maru, and as a result, they are attacked by Klingon cruisers. And um, as I said, that the, the Enterprise is critically damaged. The simulation. Um, ends because uh, the damage that is sustained is so great that the majority of the of the crew uh, are uh, killed uh, of course they're only faking that they've been killed because it's not a um, a live um, scenario and it kind, it kind of fakes you out that the beginning of the film kind of fakes you out because you see all of the characters that you've known and loved from the Star Trek universe uh, from the original Star Trek uh, TV series, including Spock and Sulu and Ahura, um, being killed right off the bat, and Dr. McCoy being killed right at the beginning of the film. And then the simulation ends, and in walks uh, Admiral James T. Kirk, um, played by William Shatner, and uh, he. Uh, comes face to face with Lieutenant Savick and because uh, she, she basically thinks she's she's failed and she says well you know because she she's a Vulcan um, and uh, she wants to achieve uh, as close to perfection as possible um, and and as but and she's she's kind of uh, unsettled by the fact that she couldn't save the Kobayashi Maru she couldn't um she couldn't ace the the the, the test um but as um Admiral Kirk explains to her um there is no true solution um to the Kobayashi Maru test is a, a test of character um and um everybody um gets to their feet and um the simulation ends. The um, 
and uh, on the day that this no-win scenario is happening, it is uh, Admiral Kirk's birthday. And on this day, um, Kirk is in kind of a bit low. He's kind of a bit, um, even though he he uh, he gets a a, uh, a gift from his um, from his friend um, Commander Spock, Captain Spock, I should say. Um, for his birthday, uh, which is a, a copy of um, A Tale of Two Cities by uh, Charles Dickens. And um, Kirk thanks Spock for it, and he recites um, the first line uh, of the, the novel as well, which is also the, the last line of the novel, which is, uh, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And he says, uh, Spock, uh, a message, Spock, is this a message? And um, Spock says, uh, not one that I'm, I'm aware of, um, um, but it, it's kind of referring to Kirk looking back on his life and basically um, he's bemoaning the fact that perhaps the best of times, uh, which will maybe also the worst of times, may be coming to an end. He, Kirk feels that he's getting old. And he he even admits this to Dr. McCoy when he comes to his apartment, um, which is littered with um, uh, things from the past, old computers, um, several uh, uh, pieces of objet d'art, uh, furniture. Um, he, he has, Kirk seems to have a, a collection of things from the past, um, objects and artifacts that he feels close to, and um, but he because he he doesn't want to, um, and he's like a lot of people he, you know he has a, a great reverence for the past, and um, but this is something that Doctor McCoy um, remarks to him when he turns up to uh, Kirk's. Uh, apartment with a uh, bottle of Romulan ale, which uh, at this time is illegal in the Federation, uh, which is very powerful, um, powerful uh, stuff, very powerful spirit, um, alcohol, and um, it's got a bit of a kick to it. Um, and McCoy can see that Kirk is a bit down on himself and he's you know he's low in these low spirits and um, he knows why because Kirk has become an admiral and ever since he became an admiral and since he walked away from um, the captain's chair he um, has become has found himself more behind a desk than uh, hopping galaxies as McCoy describes it and that's what um, Captain Kirk, um, Admiral Kirk, lived for, for so long, you know, he was, in the original Star Trek series, he was always going from adventure to adventure, from planet to planet, travelling on the Enterprise with his crew, and encountering all these strange new aliens, and, um, but since he became an Admiral, it's, it's much more, uh, quieter, much more slower pace, um, of life, and, McCoy advises him, he says, he says to, uh, to Kirk, he says, get back your command, get back your command before you become part of this, um, collection of relics around you, before you really do get old, and this is something that worries Kirk, he's, he's going through kind of like a midlife crisis, you could say, where he's trying to find out who he is, and if he's the same person without all the things that he once was and this is something that a lot a lot of people go through in in their life they when they 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 want to try and find out if they're still relevant you know you have the new the next generation coming up all the time um who are constant is a constant evolution of technology and personnel and ships 
and um, but you want to try and you as a person you want to try and stay in the game for as long as possible. And while this is happening, um, aboard the starship USS Reliant, uh, which is commanded um, um, by um, Captain T uh, Clark Terrell, and is also, uh, <coughs> excuse me, the uh, the first officer of the Reliant is uh, Commander Pavel Chekhov, um, uh, who's played by. Uh, Walter Koenig, who is a a member of the USS Enterprise crew, but he um, has apparently become the the commander of the Reliant, and the Reliant and its crew are now uh, a part of a a mission, uh, a project to search for a lifeless planet uh, to test the. Uh, the Genesis device, which is a very powerful um, technology that um, could be used as a weapon, uh, which can essentially reorganize matter in such a way that it would create a, it would turn a dead world into a habitable world. But after it's uh, detonation this genesis device it would wipe out whatever was there before um, it, uh, and replace it with its new matrix its new this new design and this has been designed uh, by uh, dr. Carol Marcus and her son David um, and uh, Carol Marcus is uh, played by BB Besh and um, uh, her son David is played by uh, Merit uh, Buttrick. Uh, but yeah, so it it could be, and it's explained by Dr. Marcus that um, if uh, the Genesis device was in put given to the wrong person, it fell into the wrong hands, then it could be used as a as a as a weapon. Um, actually, it's explained by David. Uh, Marcus, that uh, it could be perverted if, if it was in the wrong hands. Um, yeah, so Captain uh, Clark Terrell, um, who's played by Paul Winfield, uh, is commanding the Reliant, and they come across a planet um, in the SETI Alpha um, system, which they believe is uh, SETI Alpha 6, which was which would make it the, the sixth planet within this solar system um, and uh, they they do a test they, they scan the, the, the planet and it looks to be surrounded by um, these um, horrendous um, storms sandstorms and there doesn't appear to be any life there and because they have been searching for such a long time for such a planetoid that doesn't have any any life on it uh captain Terrell and uh commander Chekhov uh decide to uh inform dr marcus of what they found they found this planet um and dr marcus uh reiterates again that it has to be a planet that doesn't have any life on it you have this is the the strict the strict adherence to the the um, the you know this is the, the only way that the Genesis device can be used if there is no no other life on the planet that it is a, it is a, a world in need of being revitalized in only the only way that Genesis um, can do and this is all Genesis device was basically designed as is described by Carol Marcus as a way to uh, answer the the question of overpopulation within the galaxy, uh, there isn't an ab abundance of um, of habitable planets. There are there are several, but um, with this technology that Genesis has, um, it could be used to, as I say, create life from lifelessness. Um, 
so um, believing that uh, uh, SETI Alpha 6 may be the, the one of the, the candidates for the test of the Genesis uh, device, uh, Captain Terrell and um, Commander Chekhov beam down, um, the transport down to the planet uh, wearing their um, uh, EVA um, uh, equipment. Uh, so that they have their own breathable atmosphere, because the the atmosphere of SETI Alpha Six is more or less toxic. It's it's uh, it's definitely going through what we would imagine it to be like an extreme um, greenhouse effect. The you know the it's just basically dust and wind and nothing could live there seemingly. But they encounter some uh, cargo containers on the surface and they decide to go and investigate inside uh but when they go and investigate inside that is when uh pavel chekhov um makes the discovery of a uh, a belt buckle that has um has the name ss botany bay on it and the ss botany bay was a vessel that was discovered by the USS Enterprise 15 years previous to the events of Star Trek The Wrath of Khan. And on the SS Botany Bay was discovered the uh, genetically engineered um, superhuman, you could call him, Khan Noonien Singh. And uh, he's the... Um, the fictional antagonist from one of the most one of the most famous antagonists from the Star Trek franchise, uh, and he first appeared uh, in the Star Trek original series episode Space Seed in 1967, portrayed in in that um, episode by uh, Ricardo Montalban, um, who also plays Khan Union Singh in Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan, and he. Um, in the episode Space Seed, he was discovered by the USS Enterprise. He tried to capture the Enterprise um, and kill uh, Captain James T. Kirk. Uh, but uh, eventually, at the end of that, the episode, um, an agreement was was made, um, and Khan uh, was to be relocated with the crew his fellow crew of um, genetically engineered humans her, who had been launched, uh, had been sent away from Earth aboard the SS Botany Bay um, for, um, for trying to take over the, the world, basically, trying to overthrow all the governments of the world. So they were put on this ship and they were launched away from Earth... Um, during what is known as the eugenics wars that in the Star Trek universe occurred within the 1990s. They were all, all of the, the superhumans that participated in these, this uh, so-called eugenics war were put into, in suspension animation, uh, suspended animation. They were all frozen, um, uh, cryogenically frozen. They were put a, Board the SS Botany Bay and launched into space in the year 1996. Um, as I say, encountered by the Enterprise, Kirk thwarted um, Khan's attempt to take over the ship. Um, they came to an agreement, and Khan resettled um, was resettled with his crew aboard um, SETI Alpha Five, which was the fifth planet in the solar system of the SETI Alpha system with uh one of the um along with one of the crew members from the enterprise uh by the name of marla mcgivens mcgivers uh who was played by madeline rue in the in the original series uh episode space seed uh because they had fallen in love with each other and um uh she chose to go with khan um but in the intervening 15 years um as is explained by khan uh 
SETI Alpha 6 exploded six months after Khan and his crew and Marla McGivers landed on SETI Alpha 5. And the shockwave um, altered the orbit of SETI Alpha 5. And it, which was once a, um, a habitable planet, was turned into a barren uh, wasteland. And um, as a result of this, because uh, Marla McGivers wasn't genetically genetically engineered to be able to uh, to to live in such a barren environment, whereas the the Khan and his um, his fellow genetically engineered superhumans um, were able to um, to um, uh, struggle to um, stay alive, but they they had an advantage. She died uh, during the fifteen years, and as a result of this, Khan uh, has held a grudge against uh, Captain James T. Kirk for leaving them, basically abandoning them. So he sees it, and this has been transferred over to uh, now Admiral James T. Kirk, and it's discovered that Captain Kirk has now become an admiral. When Khan um, confronts um, Captain Terrell and um, Chekhov, um, and this is what, uh, and when um, Khan discovers that they have a vessel, the USS Reliant, in orbit waiting, he just he comes up with a plan, basically on the spot, uh, that this is his opportunity to get his revenge on Kirk so um, and what he does is he um, gets what are called uh, the seti eels um, which uh, were, are native to seti alpha 5 and the the larva from the seti eels if they are inserted into the ear it can make um, whoever it goes into the the ear canal of it can make them susceptible to uh suggestion and mind control uh so khan uses these um seti eel larvae he put he allows them to crawl into chekhov and captain terrell's ears and um commands them to make it possible for him and his crew to go to the Reliant uh, because they wish to uh, use the the Genesis device that um, Captain Terrell um, and uh, the USS Reliant are on a mission to to look for a potential planet to to deploy it and he I think he wants to use the Genesis device to to um, to find a new world and to revitalize it. I think he, the only reason that he wants revenge on Kirk, but he wants to use the Genesis device maybe to revitalize uh, SETI Alpha 5 to how it was. Uh, but it's not really explained, but he wants revenge on Kirk. That's the main thing. But he also wants the Genesis device. So... Uh, Khan on the USS Reliant goes to the space station Regular One, which is where the Genesis device is being um, uh, created by uh, Dr. Carol Marcus and her son David and um, the rest of the, the Genesis um, device team. Um, and but to try and get make their way onto the the space station um commander Chekhov and captain Terrell um send a message to dr karen marcus telling them that they're going to take uh control of the genesis device they're going to use it on seti alpha 5 uh but this is against regulations this is against um how it's done um carol marcus is in control of the the, the genesis experiment so she she she's kind of um she's kind of angry about this and she she sends a message to um admiral kirk 
asking him, why are you taking Genesis away from us? Because the um, Commander Chekhov, um, as uh, pushed by Khan, um, in their message to Carol Marcus, informed uh, Carol, Dr. Carol Marcus that Admiral Kirk was the one who gave the order to take possession of the Genesis device. So Carol um, sends a message to Kirk asking him why he's taking, it, why he's taking the uh, Genesis device away from them. He doesn't understand. He has no idea what she's talking about. Uh, but he comes to realise that there is a problem and that he needs to go to regular one to find out what the, what the, um, what the source of the problem is. Uh, so he goes to um, Mr. Spock um, and uh, he, he says he wants to use the Enterprise even though it is um, only a, a training ship with a, a trainee crew. He wants to use the Enterprise to go to regular one to try and discover what's going on on regular one and what the what uh carol marx marx's um current predicament is <clears throat> excuse me so uh what is a stirring scene as always uh we see the crew of the enterprise including um kirk spock sulu ahura um and scotty playing played by james Doohan. they're on a um on a on a shuttle pod, and they travel to uh, the space dock where the Enterprise is um, is uh, docked uh, with uh, some incredible music. This is uh, I need to just highlight the the composer of um, Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan um, right off the bat because the music from this film is some of the best. Um, the best scores I've ever heard, and it was created by, in my opinion, one of the best composers there has ever been, and that is uh, James Horner, uh, the late great James Horner, because unfortunately he died in 2015, but he created some great scores for such incredible films such as um, Titanic and, um, as I say, Star Trek The Wrath of Khan, and um, uh, Star Trek uh, six, the undiscovered country, uh, field of dreams, aliens, cocoon, batteries not included, willow, um, Jumanji, so many phenomenal uh, soundtracks, and he was an incredible composer. And I just need to say that right off the bat, and the sound, the um, soundtrack to Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan is one of my favourite um, uh, soundtracks. Um, but yeah, so. Um, the crew board the Enterprise. Uh, they travel to regular one. Um, it's it's great seeing Kirk uh, being aboard the ship, um, being given this kind of tour around the ship that he knows that he's missed, and he you can see him getting emotional and misty eyed when uh, Mister Spock, who's in command of the the Enterprise, because he's now a teacher, um, training these new trainees these new uh, Starfleet cadets in um, their duties aboard a starship. And he um, uh, temporarily gives command to Lieutenant Savick to take the ship out of space dock. And the stirring, mu along, the stirring music, along with uh, the look on uh, William Shatner's face as Admiral Kirk is just... Uh, yeah, it's really, really moving, and you can see he loves the Enterprise. He loves uh, being aboard a starship. He loves the, the the adventure, the journey, the whole experience of you know of being in space and and being where he is and aboard the sh a ship that he knows so well. And he just loves the whole environment. Um, but yeah, so they launch. Um, and they intercept with the Starship Reliant, um, which uh, goes to regular one, uh, which we don't see, but um, they basically massacred the majority of the scientists aboard regular one, who were basically all scientists and engineers and people just there to create this Genesis device, this very powerful 
um, device and um, but the Genesis device was not, was not there when Khan got there on the Reliant uh, and he tortured apparently he tortured some of the, the, the scientists there to try and find out where the Genesis device was um, Dr. Carol Marcus and her son David were also missing um, uh, but when uh, Reliant leaves regular one and um, and comes into contact with the Enterprise who is on their way to regular one uh, there is no the Enterprise hails the Reliant but there is no uh, contact um, and Kirk doesn't know what's going on he immediately uh, anticipated that Captain Terrell would um, reply but um, he didn't um, n there was no communication then the Reliant shields raise these defensive shields um, then they just um, spontaneously just start to attack the Enterprise with their phasers and uh, the Enterprise are unaware of this they, they didn't uh, anticipate that they were going to be attacked by another Starfleet vessel and then um, which is a very powerful scene Khan um, sends a message to the Enterprise revealing that it is he who has attacked the Enterprise it is he who um, went to regular one and it is he who wants the Genesis device and at first Captain Kirk, um, Admiral Kirk feigns interest in Genesis um, but uh, before he, he uh, traveled to regular one um, he reviewed the information on Genesis the uh, the package video package that um, uh, Dr. Carol Marcus had um, had made and had submitted to the Federation uh, to develop the Genesis device and he reveal, re reviews this with Mr. Spock and Dr. McCoy basically explaining what Genesis is uh, which is as I said before it's uh, to create life from lifelessness um, and this is what um, Khan wants um, Yes, yeah, so there is a uh, a very destructive battle between Reliant and the Enterprise um, until Kirk um, says that he'll give him all the information he needs. But what he's really trying to do is trying to play for time because he wants to use a um, a procedure uh, that is not usually used. Uh, and is not um, is not uh, known by all Starfleet personnel, but the commander of a Starfleet vessel, if they know the uh, prefix code of um, of a star another starship vessel's uh, computer, they can remotely order that ship to lower its shields. Um, and Kirk wants to do this because he wants to attack the Reliant because he has no uh, intention of giving uh, Khan um, any information about the, the Genesis device or its location or who who made it or anything like that. Uh, he's only doing this, to, as I say, to play for time. He's, um, enabled, he's asking for the, the help of Mr. Spock to give him the prefix code so he can lower the shields. So that they can attack the Reliant. And that's what happens. Um, uh, the Enterprise attacks the Reliant. Uh, uh, Khan is forced to retreat. To effect repairs of the Reliant. Because it is severely damaged. And while they are limping away. The Enterprise makes its way to regular one. Also severely damaged. Um, with a great deal of loss of life along the way. Um, and they beam down to regular one, uh, but they, they see the carnage that has, uh, happened there, that, um, these people were, um, killed, and there is no sign of Dr. Marcus or David, 
Um, and then they realize when they check the transporter um, station that um, someone had beamed down to the uh, lifeless planetoid below regular one. Um, um, so they, uh, while they're there, they discover uh, Captain Terrell and uh, Chekhov uh, after they've been put inside this, uh, this um, cupboard um seemingly catatonic um but they they bring them around and um lieutenant savick and dr mccoy and admiral kirk and uh captain terrell and Chekhov beam down to this the planetoid below and when they get there they immediately find the genesis device they find um carol dr carol marcus they find find david and another member of the, the Genesis uh, uh, team. Um, and immediately David thinks that uh, Admiral Kirk was responsible for taking the Genesis device. That it's all a plot um, of Starfleet to take control of this, of this um, project, the Genesis project. But... Uh, they real they soon realise uh, that it's it's all Khan's fault that he um, and Kirk has to explain who Khan is. Um, he's this um, warped, um, genetically engineered um, criminal from the twentieth century that he holds a grudge against Kirk for uh, leaving him um, on a on a planet fifteen years before, and he uh, Khan blames him for everything bad that's happened to him in the last 15 years um and khan makes contact with kirk while he's still aboard while he's still on this planetoid uh which has been um excavated um by uh a a team of um uh engineers from starfleet but uh it also leads to a cave which is called genesis cave which was a part of the um, the the second stage of the Genesis project. The, the as is explained by Dr. Carol Marcus, the the first stage was done in a laboratory. Then the second stage was done in uh, a cave, which has been transformed into this beautiful, uh, um, life-filled, um, green waterfalled cave. Uh, um with sunlight um coming through and not lifeless at all and the third stage is this genesis device which is um basically a weapon that is capable of reconstituting matter into a pre uh, arranged um matrix um but yeah so reliant beams up the Genesis device after locating it and locating Kirk uh, on the planetoid um, that is ordered by uh, Khan and he says that he's going to leave Kirk there on this seemingly lifeless under the surface of this seemingly lifeless um, moon uh, buried alive left alone to die just like um, uh, Marla McGivers Khan's uh, former um, partner died and as he says to Kirk buried alive buried alive and this is what leads Kirk to um, scream out on his communicator on the transmission to Khan he goes Khan that famous line Khan um, and Khan leaves with the Genesis device um, but previous to this, um, Kirk, uh, had communicated to the Enterprise and told them about what they were going to do. They were going to transport down to the planetoid and on the transmission, uh, Captain Spock had given, had, uh, communicated to, uh, Admiral Kirk a encoded message saying how long the repairs to the Enterprise would take. Basically, 
um, trans, um, translating days into hours, uh, hours and hours into days, minutes into hours. So basically, when he said that um, the repairs on such and such were going to take two days, he meant it was going to take two hours. Uh, because this is um, a by-the-book communication um, that is used by Starfleet personnel if they believe that their communications are being monitored, which they were by Khan. And this is what led Khan to believe that the Enterprise was so severely wounded uh, and so severely damaged that it was going to take days for it, it to be repaired, but in reality it took um, a matter of hours. Um, so Reliant, they uh, carry on um, with the Genesis device uh, in their possession, but then the Enterprise returns, beams up Kirk, uh, Lieutenant Savick, um, Dr. McCoy, and Chekhov, uh, because uh, Captain Terrell um, had turned on Cap on Admiral Kirk because um, he was ordered by Khan to attack Kirk while they were still in the Genesis um, on the Genesis planetoid. Um, but he fought against uh, the order, even though he was compelled by this uh, seti eel in his ear. Uh, but he fought against it, and because he fought against it, he fought against the, the order to kill Admiral Kirk um, he committed suicide with a phaser he basically um, eviscerated himself he completely um, um, discombobulated himself with his phaser um, and Chekhov was also affected but um, not severely and uh, he was brought back to the Enterprise with Kirk and McCoy and Savick um, and this is when Kirk when they're beaming up he explains to Savick who is a very by the book cadet uh, she wants to know um, what you know Captain Spock said it was going to be days before the repairs were uh, carried out and then Kirk explains well knowing you being someone who's by the book you would you would know that um, you encode uh, a message uh, when you believe that it could be being monitored by um, an enemy party. Um, so, they try to... They, the crew of the Enterprise... Um, try to outmaneuver uh, Reliant. Uh, because Reliant has gone to a, 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 part, a place in orbit of um, the Genesis planetoid where they near to where regular one station was where they believed the Enterprise must still be because it shouldn't be able to move because it was so severely damaged but in reality the Enterprise is fully operational and it is now traveling to the nearby Mutara Nebula um, but uh, and they wish to try and lure um, the Reliant there because if they are inside the nebula then neither ship will be able to use their shields their the targeting systems on their weapons will be hampered uh, and that um, they will be evenly matched um, as Spock um, explains um, so they go into the into the nebula and uh, at first, Reliance stops and doesn't go in because the, the crew um, explained to Khan that uh, if they go in there, then, then their uh, advantage over the Enterprise will be hampered. But um, Admiral Kirk goads Kirk, uh, Khan to follow him, saying that he's basically unimpressed with his superior intellect, as Khan believes he has. Um, so stroking his ego kind of makes Khan um, want to chase after Kirk and the Reliant goes into the Mutari Nebula and following the Enterprise but as I said because of the severe conditions within the Nebula they are unable to use their shields their weapon systems are compromised um, 
and this is when uh, Captain Spock remarks to uh, Admiral Kirk that Khan is using tactics using two-dimensional thinking um, basically expressing that to uh, to beat Khan they have to use three-dimensional combat which means that um, Khan is only going in a straight line he can only go left right back forth whereas three in that in two-dimensional uh, combat but in three-dimensional combat you can go up down left right in every direction and this is what Kirk uses to exploit um, the Reliant and when they get into close uh, proximity with the Reliant um, he orders the uh, the attack of the Reliant uh, they fire phasers, they fire photon torpedoes at the Reliant, and they cause severe damage. The The crew of the Reliant, um, Khan's uh, um, uh, superhuman um, uh, crew, they are, some of them are, are killed. Khan um, is also mortally wounded. He's scarred by the explosions that have happened on the bridge. And this is what leads Khan to decide to activate the Genesis device, which is aboard the Reliant. Um, and it will send off. It, it when it explodes, it will. It the wave from it will uh, suck in everything around it, including the Mutara Nebula, including the Enterprise, the Reliant, everything. Suck it all into one point, then reconstitute all of the matter there. And then create this new planetoid, this Genesis planetoid, this planet that would be um, capable of supporting life um, at the cost of the the, the death or the uh, dissemination of the um, the other forms of life that it has taken into itself and it is caught and. Uh, when this is explained to Kirk what has happened, that Khan has activated the Genesis device, um, it's explained by um, his son, David, uh, who is Dr. Karen Marcus's um, son also, who, and they are now aboard the Enterprise, explained that they, within um, it's the Genesis uh, device is encoded for four minutes to explode. And after that, it will reorganise all the matter in the nebula, the Enterprise, everything. Uh, but the warp drive is inoperable. They can't get it working. Uh, Scotty is having problems down in the, the engine room. Um, and Kirk's on, on the comlink and he's saying, Scotty, if we don't get it fixed in three minutes, we're all dead. And this is when Captain Spock um, realises that he's the only one capable of going down to the engine room, going into the warp core, which is now ra um, flooded with radiation, extremely dangerous radiation, um, to uh, bring the the mains back on the line, uh, to re to uh, bring the warp drive back online, so that they can travel away from the explosion before they are um, caught up in it. So. Uh, Spock goes down to the engine room, um, but he's prevented initially from going into the uh, the warp uh, the warp core uh, by Doctor McCoy. Um, and at first, Spock uh, feigns uh, he agrees with McCoy, uh, but then Spock turns when McCoy turns away. Spock um, incapacitates him by using a Vulcan nerve pinch. And then he performs what is called a, a mind meld, um, telling him to remember. And what he's doing is he is transferring his catra, basically his soul, um, uh, into Dr. McCoy. Spock is transferring his, his true essence into um, the mind of Dr. McCoy. But this isn't explained until... Um, the next film, um, Star Trek III, um, The Search for Spock. But, um, so yes, yeah, Spock goes into the warp core. Um, he makes repairs to the 
the, the warp drive, uh, but he is exposed to these very severely dangerous um, uh, levels of radiation, and he's warned and he's screamed at by um, Scotty and um, by uh, Dr. McCoy, because uh, they know that what he's doing is going to lead to his death. Um, but warp drive is restored. Um, it's, uh, Kirk realizes this and immediately doesn't question it. He just orders the, the Enterprise to jump to warp speed to get away from the explosion before it hits the ship. And, um, the, the explosion happens on, with the Genesis device. The Mutai Nebula is drawn in to this explosion, as is the Reliant, as is everything around it. But the Enterprise is able to make their escape and warp away from the explosion before they are caught uh, in the shockwave. Um, but then, um, at the saddest part of the entire film, um, Dr. McCoy or uh calls up to um uh Admiral Kirk on the bridge um and he tells him that he needs to come down to engineering and he needs to hurry uh and Im immediately Kirk turns to his right and he sees that Spock is missing from the bridge and we see um Kirk um uh pass on command of the of the ship um to uh sulu then he races away from the bridge and he literally runs down corridors um desperately trying to get to engineering because he knows that spock is in danger somehow so he races down these corridors he um slides down one of the ladders and he finally makes it to engineering and this is where he sees Spock in this contained plexiglass um, encased uh, core and he tries to go in there to try and save him but he's stopped by McCoy and by Scotty and he says he'll die and then um, Scotty says despondently he's dead already um, and then Kirk and Spock have a final moment a final conversation very emotional i remember i've seen it so many times and i've become very emotional every time i've seen it and they basically talk about the kobayashi maru the no win scenario and spock asks kirk what does he think of his solution because when kirk took the kobayashi maru uh the no win scenario at the academy his solution was to reprogram the test to make it possible to rescue the crew of the kobayashi maru and he basically cheated, um, as is explained by Savick. Um, and it's explained, Kirk explains that he did this because he doesn't like to lose. But now that he's looking into the eyes of his friend, uh, Spock, who is now blinded by radiation, the radiation that he's exposed to, he's dying of radiation poisoning. Um, this, this hurts more than anything because he's losing his best friend. Um, um, because Spock decided to, to sacrifice himself um, um, because the, the good of the many outweighs the good of the, the few or the one as he explains and he explains don't grieve Admiral um, you know saying the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one um, but Kirk is just distorted despondent, distraught, because um, he knows that, um, and that the, the, the one, the phrase that really gets me every time is when Spock um, does the, 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 the Vulcan um, symbol with his hand, uh, he puts it up, up to the plexiglass and Kirk isn't able to do it, he just puts his fingers up to him, uh, up to the glass to try and make some kind of contact with Spock, um, and um, Spock says, I have been and I sh always shall be your friend, and he says, live long and prosper, and then he 
sits down on the floor, he slumps, and then he seemingly dies. And that's one of the most emotional scenes in any film. Um, and then during the, the epilogue, um, we see Spock's space burial, in which he's launched in a photon torpedo down to the Genesis planet. Uh, which revealed uh, its soft lands on the planet. This new planet has, that has been um, created by the Genesis device. And, um, and then uh, as um, the crew of uh, the Enterprise watched the, the sun rise upon a new planet, the Genesis planet, they look at it from on the view screen and they reflect upon Spock and what he did um, and even Dr. McCoy who he had a very uh, cantankerous um, uh, relationship with Spock even though they were friends they didn't always agree um, Spock was always more the level-headed one whereas McCoy was more the hot-headed one so they always disagreed even in the the original series, um, he, he says, he's not really dead as long as we remember him. And then um, Kirk um, recites uh, a quote um, uh, which goes like this, I think it's, um, it's a far better thing I do than I've ever done before. A far better resting place I go to than I've ever known. And um, Dr. Carol Marcus asks um, Kirk if that is a, a poem. And uh, Kirk basically says just something that Spock was trying to tell him on his birthday. Um, basically trying to explain the sacrifice. He did what he did for his crew, um, for his friend, um, and he, he, he saw that his life, Spock's life, didn't, didn't matter as, meant as much as, as his friend and his, his fellow crew members. And as a result of this, um, when Dr. McCoy asks Admiral Kirk, how does he feel? Kirk looks out to the Genesis planet, to the sun, sunrise, and he says, young. I feel young. And it's a complete juxtaposition to how Kirk felt at the beginning of the film, where he felt old, he felt worn out, he says to McCoy. But now, as a result of Spock's sacrifice, and what Spock has taught, Spock's sacrifice has taught Kirk, he now feels young. He feels like there is more out there. There is more to, to do. Uh, but as I said, as, as revealed, um, right in the closing moments, uh, instead of being destroyed, uh, the photon torpedo that had um, Spock's body inside it, dead body inside it, um, soft landed on the planet on the surface of the Genesis planet um, and it's unknown uh, what this means at the end of the of the film but um, spoilers it leads directly into the story of the next film in the franchise Star Trek 3 the wrath of um, Star Trek 3 the search for Spock and in that film, it explains what happens next. Uh, explains what happened to Spock's body and what the crew of the Enterprise will do to um, try and um, secure this new planet that has been uh, created. Because the, the when information, when the news that this new planet has been created, that this weapon, the Genesis device, is now um, has now been revealed to the entire galaxy. Um, seemingly, a lot of people become aware of it, and they want to obtain this new power, this new 
weapon of mass destruction, as some um, people um, believe it is. So it causes uh, shock waves throughout the galaxy, and as I say, um, it leads into the, the next film, which I'm going to be covering in a future episode. But yeah, so I think I'm going to leave it there for now. Uh, spoke uh, ad nauseum about one of my favourite films, uh, as well as my favourite Star Trek film. And also, as I said, the, the favourite Star Trek film of many people. Um, uh, I just love the film. I, I, I love it, one of, it. And I'm so glad that Nicholas Meyer was the director. Um, he's a great, uh, great director, great writer. He also directed the the Star Trek film, um, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Um, he's written um, screenplays and he's been instrumental in some other Star Trek uh, projects um, as well. Uh, and he's yeah, great director, great writer. Um, and this is a great film of his. Um, and yeah, so I think I'm going to leave it there for now. Um, as I say, um, if you haven't seen, I always say, if you haven't seen the film, then uh, I would definitely suggest that you check it out. As I say, one of my favourite films. Um, it's a great science fiction film, great adventure film. And even if you're not a Star Trek fan, then I believe that you could enjoy it just as much. Um, but yeah, so uh, check it out. Uh, hope you enjoy it. Um, uh, hope you like what you heard. Um, live long and prosper. And I'll talk to you again soon. If you like what you heard in uh, this episode of uh, the Mark Hastings Experience, um, and if you want to check out some more of my poetry, um, then you uh, you can head over to markthepoet.me, uh, which is my website, and you'll find uh, lots of the poems that I've written over the years. Um, if you want to uh, check out some of my poetry uh, in uh, book form, uh, and go to Amazon and you'll find um, all 10 of my books that I've had published. Um, they're all books of poetry, um, uh, books of stories, uh, books of uh, memories and uh, experiences. Um, and there'll be more to come. And uh, if you would love to um, contribute uh, to... Uh, to the podcast then you can do so by heading over to patreon and searching for mark the poet and uh your uh, your support would be greatly appreciated um but uh as i was saying i hope you liked what you heard in this uh episode um and i'll talk to you again soon